Good morning, Paragon Church. Wasn't that awesome? And I'm not, uh, I'm not besmirching or mocking modern music, but give me some of those gospel songs, amen? Oh, I especially love those songs because um, I grew up, I'm going to tell a little story, didn't tell them I was going to. I grew up uh, in a Christian home, but I spent every summer with my grandpa for six weeks out of the summer, and I would help him at his church. And Victory in Jesus was his favorite song. And man, I just, oh man, it just makes me so happy to play that song, to hear that song. As we continue our time of worship, let's open to the book of Psalms, chapter 85. With all the discussion that's going on in the world right now about revival and the outpouring of God, let's turn to God's Word and look for Him. His word tells us that we may find him if we seek him and seek him with our whole hearts. And this is exactly what this psalm is doing. Beginning in verse 1, the psalmist writes, O Lord, you showed me your favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Selah. You withdrew all your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your indignation towards us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you, not yourself, revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for He will speak peace to His people, to His godly ones. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him that glory may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before Him, and He will make His footsteps into a way. Let us pray. Father God, as we come and we read this passage of turning our hearts and face to God, knowing that it is God who holds all salvation, it is God who holds all goodness, it is God who holds all love and mercy. Let us look boldly to the throne of grace because Christ has set into the darkness to bridge the gap that we may boldly come before God and say, Abba, Father. As the psalmist writes, Lord, revive our hearts. It is a work of you and you alone. Let us humbly submit to the proclamation of your word. Let Christ be exalted in this place today, for he is worthy and worthy to be praised. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Thanks for singing along. Thanks for Johnny adding a little bass line back there. It reminded me of when I was in church. There was always that guy back, I'll fly away. You know, that thing that kind of came from the back. So grateful for that. I'm going to send all of our K through fifth grade out over here with Denise. And uh, as you guys head over that way, um, I want to ask you to do to me two favors. One is I want you to open up to the book of Jonah today. And I'm telling you early because it's not easy to find. Um, so if you uh, have your Bibles with you, if you have your digital device, go to the book of Jonah today. And the second thing I want to do is I want to ask you to welcome a friend of mine. And for many of you, a friend of yours as well. His name is Tim Kester. Tim is in town. Tim is a part of Paragon, but in the last about six months, he's been a part from a distance. He moved to Oklahoma, 
But I wanted him, as he came back in this weekend, to do me a favor and share a little bit about what God has been doing with his life and his story, because that's one of the big things we've talked about, even with baptisms, is share your story. So, Tim, would you? Sure will. Thank you. Oh, it's good to be back. (laughs) I miss y'all. Real quick, I've been looking for a church for six months. Because every time I go into a church, I walk out going, that's not Paragon. That's just not Paragon. That's, that's the impact you all have on me. Okay? Sitting and, sitting and talking to my sister-in-law about my wife. And then I get a text out of nowhere just, hey, love you. Miss you. That's what Paragon is to me. And you all don't know how much that means to me when I get those random texts from y'all. It, it means the world, okay? So the last six months, like Matt said, I moved to Oklahoma, mainly because my job moved me there. It was either go and have a job, stay and don't have a job. So, <laughs> and it was a decision me and Carmen made before March 8th. Um, and here's what's happened in Oklahoma. And I'm just going to I'm going to share from my heart real fast because I want y'all to understand this because with with revival going on we're seeing different things and choices and this and that. Well, I've had my times of why. I've had my times of sitting in the corner of my house going, "God, why are you doing this?" You took my partner And that's the way I would say it to him. You took my partner. And then my mom, when I will talk to her, she'll say, no, Tim, you can't say that. Timothy? (laughs) Yes, Mom. (laughs) He didn't take your partner. Sin did. And she will remind me of that every time I let that come out. And so I'm sitting in the corner of my house and go, you took, you took Carmen. You took our home. Because New Mexico has been our home for 17 years. We were married for 25 and 17 of it was here. You took my church family. And that, me just being honest with God, okay? Now, then I get reminded like from my mom that it wasn't him that took it but he's trying to show you something Tim or let me say it like she does Timothy you need to quit and listen yes mom (laughs) so over the past six months yes I've been visiting churches and mainly listening online here and but visiting churches and it's it's been hard because I've been in that why at times. Why did you do this? Why is this happening? Why this? Why that? Why this? But I can't stay in the why. And God's allowed me to share multiple times. I've had people ask me to share. Just tell us your story. You don't have to do anything else, just we want to hear. So I've had the opportunity to share, kind of like I did here last May, where it started, when I started sharing. And, and God's allowed me to share my story. God's allowed me to see how something so tragic, because... The last year and a half, and I'll, I'll even share this part with you that very few know. Matt knows because I reached out to him because he's still my pastor. My mother-in-law passed away in December. So my year ended the same way it began. And um, and still, I'm like, why, God, why are you doing this? What is the purpose What is the purpose? And that's where I've focused. What is the purpose? 
instead of focusing on the why. And it's taken me a while, don't get me wrong, because, and I'll still have my days of why, I promise you. Because every day, uh, she was my partner. She was, she lifted me up. She was my partner. And every day I'm like, how do I do this without her? And then God reminds me, hey, I'm here. Lean on me. I'm going to share you, I wrote something just one morning. I was journaling a little bit, and I, I named it, I always told you, what I, I always told you I don't know what I would do without you. And I was writing it to Carmen. And as I got through, as I got through and at the end, I said, today I know what I'll do without you. I'll lean on God. And God will get me through. And that's how I ended that with her. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, the last six months, that's what I've had to do. Because those few texts here and there from you all, those were right at the right times. You don't know. And I'm going to tell you all, if God's telling you to reach out to somebody, reach out to them. Because... There's been times that I've been in that why moment and somebody just texts you, love you, man. That's God. And then God reminds me, lean on me. Lean on me. Because I promise you, if I leaned on what I truly felt way down here, it wouldn't be good but leaning on him and following making that choice making that choice to okay God even through tragedy you're still God even through hurt you're still God and that's where I've been so I know I moved to Oklahoma without really telling everybody (laughs) I just kind of, whoa, where's Tim? <laughs> so I moved to Oklahoma. Um, I'm in about an hour and a half from my mom. I have an uncle that lives right down the street from me, my dad's brother. So um, move, I'm, I am closer to family. My, two of my kids still live here. Two of them are still on the East Coast. And all my grandbabies are on the East Coast. So, But that's where I'm at. And if, if I can ask you all to pray for anything is pray that I find a church because I need this. And I need, I need this. I'm looking for, for this type of church. I'm, I'm just being honest with you because every time somebody asks me, I, w- I shared in a community group that I've been going to and they asked me to share and I was like, well, let me tell you about my church. They look at me like, well, you've been coming here. I'm like, this ain't my church. <laughs> so um, if, you, if you can pray for one thing for me, pray that God gives me where, or puts me. Let me rephrase that. He puts me where he wants me. Okay? Because that's my goal now. Thanks, Tim. For those of you guys who uh, don't know Tim, I, I should have done a little bit better job at, uh, at introducing him. Um, Tim's wife was taken in a, in a tragic, senseless act of violence from another family member uh, back in, in March. Um, and the church here walked together with him. And I actually, as crazy as it sounds, uh, I was going to... Uh, talk today about the importance of being involved in a church because of exactly what he's saying. Um, that was, that was going to be our why today, as a matter of fact. Our why today was going to be why church, why church membership. And I thought Tim's story is going to be perfect. And as a matter of fact, as he says, pray for me to have God put him in a church, I'm like, just pray that he moves back to New Mexico. That's, <laughs> that's, what, that's my own selfish desire prayer that I've been praying for Tim for a long time. And, um, you know, as I, I've been looking at all the things that are going on, my desire was to do a wide church, wide church membership. But yesterday, 
Yesterday I called an audible, which isn't normal for me. I, I, I generally plan things out. I, I know what I want to do. I already have all the Ephesians planned out all the way until Labor Day. So, um, yeah, some of you are like, really? Seriously, that, that's how I have to do it. I have to break it down so I know what I'm going to do. But something wasn't right as I was kind of finishing up my message on Friday night. I woke up Saturday morning. On Saturday morning, I'm like, oh, I, I'm not talking about church membership tomorrow. That, that's, that can't be. God hasn't given me the peace about the message that I put together. And I'm like, oh, nobody likes doing an entire message on a Saturday. I, I want to clean up my chicken coops. I'd rather be doing that. that. That's where I'd rather be at. And I was sitting there going, oh, God, well, if this isn't it, what do you want? And, and uh, the kids wanted breakfast burritos. And I like Stripes breakfast burritos. I don't know if you've had them before, but they're pretty good. And, but they're not close to us. We're out in Enchanted Hill. So I'm like, well, I'm going to listen to a podcast. And I know the line Stripes is going to be long anyway. So I started looking through to find a, a podcast. Well, you know what? Every, just about every podcast I have on my um list of up next was it was about revival it was about revival and of course there's a whole lot of things going on in the world right now but especially in Kentucky at Asbury University you probably have heard about that and it's now spread to I think five other universities this idea of revival and as I started to look at that and started to kind of think about that I was thinking you know what could we do with revival. God, how do we speak into revival? Because revival is such a, a thrown out there term for the Christian culture. What does it actually even mean? What, what is even, let's say it this way, what is true revival? Because what, what word comes to mind or, or what thoughts come to, to, to mind when you think of the word revival? I mean, for me, I think of like giant tent meetings that last a week and there's some guest evangelist out there doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Or, or maybe it's, a, it's an emotional week at camp where everybody comes forward and makes that emotional decision in some way. Uh, what is true revival? Well, I looked up the word revival in the dictionary. Dictionary.com describes it this way. It's restoration to life or to strength. It is restoration to use or it's an awakening and to be honest as a church as a pastor that is what i want in our church in our people in our communities in our city our state our nation in our world i want an awakening i want a restoration to use i want a restoration to life that's what i want to see so as we look at revival what is that? Well, I began to dive into quotes of people who are way smarter than me that talk and write books on revival. Here's some of the things I found. Stephen Olford, who was a church leader, who actually Billy Graham said was a person who most influenced his ministry, so that gives you an idea how and who he is. He said, Revival is an invasion from heaven that brings a conscious awareness of God. Robert Coleman, Christian author who wrote lots of books, including... The Master Plan of Evangelism. Some of you may have written, uh, read that before. It says, Revival is that sovereign work of God in which He visits His own people, restoring and releasing them into the fullness of His blessing. James A. Stewart, not to be conf uh, confused with Jimmy Stewart, he was a European evangelist, a missionary, and a pastor. It says, Revival is the people of God living in the power of an ungrieved, unquenched spirit. Andrew Murray a pastor deeply in love with Jesus, so much so people used to say, what is your secret? And he wouldn't share it with him because he didn't want to take the focus off of Jesus and put it on himself. He said a true revival means nothing less than a revolution, casting out the spirit of worldliness and making God's love triumphant in the heart. Vance Havner, known by many to be the most quoted pastor of the 20, 20th century, said revival is the church falling in love with Jesus all over again. You heard Pastor Bruce read Psalm 85 up front. Psalm 85, verse 6 said this, you will, will, uh, sorry, will you not revive us again so your people may rejoice in you? And a verse you probably have heard a time or two in Second Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14. You probably heard it when it deals with prayer. But listen to what it says. And my people who bear my name, humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. 
As I read those quotes, as I read the definitions, really, and as I looked at these Bible verses, plus many more, there's a common theme that we see in it, and that is this. My people. Your people. Will you not revive your church, your people, God, and my people who bear my name? Revival is the church falling in love with Jesus all over again. Revival is the people of God living in the power of an ungrieved, unquenched spirit. Revival is that sovereign work of God in which He visits His own people, restoring them, releasing them into the fullness of His blessing. You want to know what true revival is? This is where it starts. It starts with His people, His church, His body, turning from their sin and towards Jesus. Repentance. That's what repent means, to turn, to make a 180, to go from where you are and turn back to God. And it starts with me. And it starts with you. It starts with us. If we want to see God doing an awakening, it starts with us repenting and turning back to Him. I believe with all my heart that we live in a day and an age, that we are living in a time today that is the most crucial time for revival to take place. As a matter of fact, if you look throughout history, the great revivals that have taken place is when the world has been at its worst. When people have been so far from God, so twisted in their thinking, that is when the great revivals take place. Now you might be thinking, well, what is going on in Asbury uh, University in Kentucky? I can't tell you the answer to that. Because as I've listened to different podcasts and watched different things and, and, and read different things, some say what's going on is true revival. Others say that's not real revival. And others say we have to wait and see. I'm in the wait and see camp. Because revival will bear fruit. And it's not going to bear it in a week. Now, a bunch of college kids taking all their time to worship God, I have zero problem with that. A generation that has been so beaten up by a pandemic and political divide and all the things, I have no problem with them coming before the throne of God and worshiping for hours on end if that's what it takes. But does that signify revival? Not sure. I think we have to wait and see. Because as we begin to look, and I believe with all my heart, like I said, we live in this day, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 29, 13, by the way, I think Bruce actually referenced it without even knowing it was in my message it says you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart are we searching with all our heart see I truly believe that God wants us to seek him out that is the desire of his heart to, to focus on him with all of our hearts to stop focusing on ourselves as we do far too often and let an awakening begin because if his people truly seek him his people will truly find him and His people being us as individuals. And the truth about revival, if you want to see transformation take place outside these walls, it's got to take place inside the walls first. It has to spill over. Because there's something I think we, we need to understand that as we look at it, it begins with us. Revival begins with me. And it begins with you. And there's a choice that has to be made, and we see that in the life of Jonah. I know I told you guys to open to Jonah like 15 minutes ago, and we're going to get to it, I promise. But you will see it in the life of Jonah. Because Jonah, and I was actually going to read the entire book with you today. And Christy went, that's way too long, and the teachers back in the back are not going to be happy. So I shall summarize Jonah for you today. Jonah, you probably know, he was a prophet of God. A prophet of God who was called to go to a wicked, evil city called Nineveh and share the gospel. To call them to repentance. And Jonah, in his response was, I'm going completely the other way. I am not going to do that because I don't like the people of Nineveh. So he went completely the other way. A storm rises up. The boat that he's on is tossed all about. They can't figure out what to do. He ends up getting thrown overboard. A giant fish eats him. He sits in that belly of that fish for three days and three nights. During that time, he has some time to think. He prays. He repents. And he gets thrown up back out onto the land. Then he goes and does the job that God has called him to. Repentance takes place and an entire city is saved from the wrath of God. That's a pretty short version. If you want to read that book, it's four chapters. 
10, 12 verses each, do it. Take a chance and just read it and see what he has to say. And you may say, well, why Jonah when it comes to revival? Well, I believe that Jonah had an important journey to show us revival, to show us restoration. As a matter of fact, I think his life is the true definition of spiritual revival. And if you look closely, the crazy thing is, is it actually parallels Second Chronicles seven fourteen pretty well. And I'll point that out as we move along in it all. Now the word revival, I gave you the definition by dictionary.com, but the original Hebrew language isn't too far off of that. The Hebrew definition actually says to bring back to life, to restore to consciousness, or to restore to a current condition. And if you look at it from biblical context, it means restoration, rejuvenation, or renewal of interest after spiritual apathy. Awakening after spiritual apathy. It comes as a restoration to the spiritual life of a person or a group of people. And we see it in Jonah's life and through Jonah's eyes as he writes this. As he wandered, he was restored, and he turns to the people of Nineveh, and as he turns to them, his restoration spills out into their restoration and they too are restored. Now understand with me, here's something we need to understand about revival and why it has to start with us and it can't really start outside the walls of the church. Because to be revived, you have to be vived the first time. You have to be alive the first time to be revived. If you watch any show where somebody is being put onto an emergency cart and they are trying to defibrillate them or revive them. They're bringing them back to life. So you have to have the life first. For a Christian, we have the life in us. And that is the life of Christ. And when we wander from that, when we drift from that, the revival is us being brought back to that life. Turning from our old ways back to the ways that Christ would have us. So I want to caution you now. If you have not received life through Christ, through faith in Him, revival will not happen. Salvation can happen, and we will definitely talk about that. But revival will not happen unless you are in Christ already. Now Jonah, he was a prophet of God. I told you it mirrors 2 Chronicles 7. When it starts off by saying, If my people, Jonah was God's people. Jonah was God's people, and he spoke directly to Jonah God did yet as we look at Jonah's story we find the prophet Jonah only really cared about himself he only cared about his feelings he only cared about the outcome that he wanted for the people of Nineveh now does that sound familiar at all in our world today and maybe even for some people that are in the church that we only care about the outcome that we want for people outside the church you know this Nineveh was actually known for its cruelty, for its wickedness. They were enemies to Israel, and you know what? That caused Jonah not to like them very much. Do we have enemies outside of the church that sometimes we don't like very much? Absolutely. But God gave his prophet a mission. He gave him a calling, and the problem was because Jonah felt the way he did about the people of Nineveh, he decided that he wasn't going to do what God wanted him to do. He was going to do what he wanted to do his focus wasn't on god and the kingdom but rather his focus was on himself isn't that the way we are sometimes i told you i'm not i'm not going to get into the church and why we get involved in the church and the church membership we're actually going to save that for next week as we we look at communion and christ's love for the church so much so that he died for it we'll tie that in as we wrap up our why series but sometimes We care more about what we want than what actually God wants. And we justify our actions by saying, well, if I do this for God, then I won't be able to do this for myself. If I give this, I won't have time for this. If I go to church or be a part of something here, I won't have time for what I want to do over here. And we we struggle with that. We battle with that and we justify that. So if I asked you this question this morning, what would you say to it? What is God calling you to do? It's a simple, in-your-face question. Because God's calling all of us to something. What is He calling you to do? And many of us, we don't want to answer that question because we think if we do, then I won't be able to have my own life. And I emphasize my own life because I want to reiterate with you something that I say 
often. And that is this. If you are a professing believer in Jesus Christ, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price in the precious blood of the Lamb. I was just, those songs were just great. I was really, I, we did it actually ahead of time because I was like, yeah, church membership's an old idea. We should do old songs. That was my thinking at all. God had a whole different plan. They would fit into this idea of revival that we need to be washed. I'll fly away someday, but while I'm here, I've got to do God's work. These are the things that, that we, we see. What is God calling me to do? I've been redeemed and washed in that blood. What am I supposed to do in response? The sad part is, we will never change our focus from us to God and experience true awakening unless something happens. And that is this. The desire to change is greater than the desire to stay where you are. The desire to change is greater than the desire to stay where you are. That is when awakening will begin. That is when revival will begin. See, Jonah understood this. He came to the realization locked in a fish prison. He was there for three days and three nights, and in that time, his desire to change where he was became greater and greater. I can imagine that sitting in a fish's belly isn't exactly pleasing, especially for three days and three nights. His personal agenda started to slide further down on the things to do list. And that'll happen with some help from God. And God uses Jonah's story to teach us. Really, the beginning process to unlock revival, not just in ourselves, but also in the church. So step one to spiritual revival is this. It is get real with yourself. Get real with yourself. Stop lying to yourself. I'm going to, well, we'll say, maybe address an elephant in the room. Something people don't really talk about. But the question is, is who are you in relationship to God? Who are you? What is your relationship? What? Do you know if you are following God? The answer is, is yes. You know it. You might be able to fool the rest of us, but you know whether you are following God or not. You know if you are in a relationship with God or not. So the first step, if you want change, if you want awakening, you have to come to the truth of where your relationship with God is. Chapter 1 of Jonah is all about hide and seek. It's all about hide and seek. I mean, think about this. Jonah's running from God, and he's trying to go somewhere where God wasn't, and he wanted to hide from him while he was even getting there. As a matter of fact, let me read for you um, Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish. From the Lord's presence, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Verse 4, God throws a storm into his past. And then verse 5 says, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Now there's so much stuff we can do. As a matter of fact, we did Jonah a couple years ago and broke down everything. Go back and listen to it. But you'll see that he's okay with running from God. We don't fall into a deep sleep when we're not okay. But this storm comes up, and, and church, let me tell you something. You can't hide from God. God is everywhere all the time. It's called omnipresence. You can't hide from Him. And here's the thing. Jonah knew God. He actually talked to Him. I think he knew that God was everywhere. But yet he still chose to run anyway. And look what Jonah tries to do. There's a map. Can you throw it up there for me, uh, Justin, real quick? I don't know if you guys can see that online or not. But uh, Joppa's here in the middle. Nineveh was 550 miles from where he was supposed to go. He was going to go as far away as he possibly could in the other direction of 2,500 miles. Now, what's the U.S.? About 3,000 miles wide? So we're talking, he was going to go literally from New York and run to Los Angeles. As far as he could possibly get from where God had called him to. He 
was running completely in the other direction. So the storm comes up as he's on that boat, and the captain goes and finds Jonah asleep and said, Hey, get up, get up, and call to your God. At the same time, the sailors are losing their minds. All the sailors on the ship are like, hey, we, we need to cast lots and figure out what's going on. Well, guess what the lots pointed to? That it was Jonah's fault. This guy who had just stowed away and fallen asleep on the ship says, hey, you can't hide from God. And really, here's the thing. When we're not right spiritually with God and we're running from God, we may think it's a secret, but people around us know, especially those who are closest to us. And not only do they know, it affects them. It affects them. It doesn't just affect you. You can't just hide from God and you can't hide from other people. But also, you can't just assume it's all about you because other people, look, look what happened. Those sailors, they were terrified for their lives. What did they start doing? They started throwing Amazon shipments over. So everybody who was supposed to get an Amazon shipment, sorry, your package is delayed. They, they were doing everything they possibly could to get stuff off the ship. And... and even in that, they thought they were going to die. They thought it, this was it. All why? Because of Jonah. It was a direct effect from Jonah. So at that moment, you know what Jonah had to do? He had to get real with himself. He had to get real with himself. So in verse 12, if you look at it, it says these words. Pick me up and throw me into sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame. I'm going to stop running, I'm going to stop lying, and I'm going to get real and honest. I'm the one to blame for this great storm that is against you. God used the storm in Jonah's life to give him the opportunity to get real with himself. Even today, I know that some of you are running from the presence of God. I know that some of us are running from what God wants us to do. I need to ask you, at what point in time will you get real with yourself? Does God have to throw a storm into your life for you to get real with yourself? See, the good news is is that the process of revival will start when we get real with ourselves first. But the second step is this. Once you get real with yourself, you've got to get right with God. That is repentance. As a matter of fact, what does 2 Chronicles say? Humble yourself, pray, and seek His face. We've got to get right with God. That's what Jonah does. See, you have to get real with yourself to know who you are, and then you get right with God because you know who He is. At the end of chapter, uh, chapter 1, Jonah is swallowed by the fish. And the whole second chapter is him getting right with God. It's him praying. It's him calling out in his distress. I mean, again, he finds himself in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And I've said it already, but that means he had a lot of time to think. I don't know if you're a football fan, but right now Aaron Rodgers is on a four-day darkness retreat. I don't even know what that means. That's some weird stuff that's going on inside that dude's head right now. But my guess is, is that you got a lot of time to think by yourself. There's nobody bugging you for four days and four nights. Sitting in the dark. As a matter of fact, I might go crazy. I, I, I need people. But the reality is, is that that's where Jonah was forced into. And, and what does he do while he's there? I mean, I, I don't know what's going through his head exactly, but my guess is it's probably questions of, how did I get into this current situation? What did I do to end up here? How am I still alive? How did I get eaten by a fish and now I'm sitting here thinking about it? H- how did that happen? My guess is, is that there's probably lots of questions, but one of the things we all know is that God made the storm because of the disobedience, and in his current situation, there's only one thing that Jonah could do, and that was cry out to God. Cry out to God. I mean, have you ever been put in that situation that the only thing you could do was cry out to God? It's not a fun place to be. It's a place of desperation. Desperate for you. We're desperate for God. How desperate was Jonah? Well, he was in the digestion process, so I'm sure he's pretty desperate. He says this in verse 2 of chapter 2. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, and you heard my voice. 
Verse 4 says, And I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I will repent. Verse 7, As my life was fading away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. To those you ch- who cherish worthless idols, they abandon their faithful love. But as for me... I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded this fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Can I tell you, this is a story of revival. This is a story of awakening. Jonah was as good as dead, but God. But God restored him and revived him. Jonah acknowledged his wrongdoing. He acknowledged his disobedience and he sought forgiveness from God. And you know what God did? If you've ever watched the Jonah VeggieTales version, he's the God of second chances. He is the God of second chances. He gave a second chance to make things right. And you know what I've come to know? I'm a lot like Jonah. And I know that you are a lot like Jonah. But I'm even more grateful that we have a God of second chances. We find several times in Scripture the principle of the Lord coming to an individual for a second time, but probably my favorite is Peter. The Apostle Peter, who, you know the story, he told Jesus, I will never leave you. I'm going to be right there with you. And Jesus says, hey, guess what? For the end of the day, you're going to desert me. And what do we see happen? Exactly that. But restoration comes when Jesus comes back to him after his resurrection and says, Hey, Peter, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to feed my sheep. And if you look throughout the book of Acts, you see the way that God used Peter in a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, if you watch The Chosen, I referenced it last week, such a powerful moment when Peter's walking on the water and begins to sink, and Jesus pulls him up and says, oh, you have little faith. But the, the moment of the boat is one of those ones where you're like, I'm not crying, you're crying. There's just a there's just moment inside that you're like, oh, I've been there, Jesus, where I've just let you down. I, I knew what you wanted. I, I knew what the outcome would be, but I chose to do my own thing anyway. That's Jonah. That's me. But I love the God of second chances. And I've needed it too many times in my life. When God calls me to something and I look the other way or I run the other way. What about you? Can you say that about yourself? Maybe you're here thinking today, God won't give me another chance. Don't let that thought into your head. Maybe you're, you're kind of like even what Tim talked about. You're at a crossroads of what should I decide? Should I do what God wants me to do or should I do what I want to do? God is willing to give each and every one of us a second chance right here, right now, today. And He might be disciplining some of you right now. He might be nudging you like He did with Jonah. But if we turn to God in a spirit of repentance, He is willing to forgive. And He is a God of forgiveness and He's a God of second chances. He's willing to revive us. He's willing to restore us. He's willing to awaken us from that apathetic slumber that we tend to slide into this is the amazing picture of unmerited grace that god gives us this is it this is the picture of it like jonah we deserve nothing but when we get right with god he revives us psalm 77 verses 1 through 3 says this i cry aloud to god aloud to god and he will hear me i sought the lord in my day of trouble my hands were continually lifted up all night long i refused to be comforted i think of god i groan i meditate my spirit becomes weak god will hear us in our brokenness and he will listen to us as we seek his forgiveness as we turn from our evil ways as we turn from ourselves he's waiting to spiritually revive us we just have to ask We just have to lay ourselves down for true revival to begin. We have to change our focus from ourselves to God. That's what happens. Step one, we get right with ourselves. Step two, I'm sorry, we get real with ourselves. Step two, we get right with God. Step three is we get up and go. We get up and we go. We turn from our wicked ways. That is a verb. We are in motion. We get up 
and we go. When we get real with ourselves, when we get right with God, we have to get up with God, get up and go. We have to shake off the dust. We have to, in the power of God's grace, go and share what God has done. That's how revival happens. That's how people get saved at a revival, is first the Christians and their lives coming back to God, and then the backslidden, we'll use that word, if you were talking about old school words in church today, the backslidden go, yes, I see it, and they move, and the natural outpouring is, I got to tell somebody, and it's going to be the people who are lost. And that's where we're going to see things, and that fruit come from it all. I mean, think about this. At the end of chapter 1, Jonah's swallowed by a fish. At the end of chapter 2, he's puked out by a fish. I'm going to get a little bit gross here for just a second. But have you ever stopped and thought about being puked out by a fish? I mean, I don't like puke anyway. I got stories that I can tell you from being a youth pastor. I can, got stories I can tell you from being a parent, and I shall save them so we're not cleaning things up in here today. But here's the truth of the matter. When I smell puke, it makes me want to puke. As a matter of fact, talking about it right now is making my stomach gurgle just a little bit. So I apologize, front row, um, if anything were to happen. Here's, here's what I got to thinking about with Jonah. The smell of three days and three nights in a fish, and then the smell of bile on top of that for being puked out. Is it possible God has a point that if you run from Him, He will revive you, but you may not come out smelling like roses? You may have a few consequences to deal with. The phrase get up is used three times in these three chapters. The phrase got up has also been used three times. Jonah's been revived, and now it's about radical obedience. Look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Do you see what happens? There's actions that follow his repentance. First, Jonah took God's command seriously. He got up, he went, he proclaimed the message of God. But second, something greater even happened. And that was the people of Nineveh heard the word of God had an opportunity to respond and they responded by putting on sackcloth and, and, and fasting and, and asking God's forgiveness. And you know what? God gave it to them. It wasn't Jonah's words. It was God working. They believed God. They turned from their sins and God answers. What does Second Chronicles chapter 7 say? Then I will hear from heaven forgive their sin and heal their land that is what is needed today for christian communities to experience revival and then take that message to the world to experience who god is and take that mission to the world see god is a mission-minded god and he has a mission for each and every one of us just like he had a mission for jonah are we doing what god has called us to do that is the question we have to wrestle with in the New Testament, I mean, think about all the times that Jesus says, get up and go. When, when he heals somebody, get up and go. Get up and take your mat. Get up, get up, get up. And what's his last words he tells to each and every one of us in Matthew 28, 19? I want you to go and make disciples. Wherever you are going, make disciples. We need to be a people that when we've experienced it, unmerited grace of God when that has been permeating in our life that has been poured out on us that we respond that we've been healed of sin and that we go in that power of grace and we share the word with people who are in desperate need and this is twofold because it flows from us first it means go out and tell others about the gospel but second this is what also it means and it's going to tie into church membership that we're going to talk about next week it means you have to get off your duff and be the people of God that he has called us to be. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say duff, but there's other words you can fill in the blank if you'd like. Get up and go to use the gift that the Holy Spirit has given you that he's anointed you with for the betterment of the church and the betterment of this world for God's glory. 
Because that's what it's all about. When revival comes, we have to get up and go. The truth is, many before us have made revival into a spectacle. They've made it into a worldly production. We'll just call it that. That's why there's so many questions about what's going on in Kentucky. Oh, they're just trying to boost their numbers. They're just trying to get on the news. There's so many questions out there that this, is it just an experience rather than the true work of God? My thing is this. It's got to start somewhere. Will there be bad fruit that comes from it? Probably, because people are going to abuse it. But can God use it? Absolutely. If He used a, a donkey to talk to Balaam, He can do whatever He wants. This is where we are at. God is talking to us about being a church that is a get-up-and-go church. We must be a get-up-and-go church. See, true revival begins when we change our focus from us to Him. We get real, we get right, and we get going. That is where we are at. Revival awakens in our hearts an increased awareness of the presence of God. It gives us a new love for God. It gives us a greater hatred for sin. And it gives us a hunger for Him and His Word. That is my prayer for each and every one of us today. That revival like that will happen in our lives, in our church, and it will spill over to our communities because we can't help but talk about what God is doing. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the story of Jonah. I'm pretty sure Jonah's not thankful for it. At least wasn't. But God, today we can learn from it. We can learn what it looks like when we run from you. When you've called us to a mission, but we choose to do our own thing. God, may it not be. Awaken us from our slumber of apathy to get off our duff and be who you've called us to be. I don't know who you're speaking to in here today, but maybe the first person is is somebody who doesn't know you at all who has never given their life, who has chosen and heard the message lots of times, but chosen not to follow it. God, I pray today is the day that they step forward and say, I repent of my sins and I give my life to Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And God, for those who have done it, may it be something that now you are stirring in our hearts that it's not just some decision we made 15, 20, 25 years ago, but it's a decision we make every day of our lives. That God, that you get the glory because you are the Lord and you use us for that glory to better your kingdom and grow your kingdom. God, challenge us today to be who you want us to be and stop being who we want to be. God, we give you all the praise and the glory this morning. We pray for a response. We pray for the beginning of a revival in our lives. We pray it in your name. Amen.